All right, well, let's take out our Bibles and find Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5, that's going to be our text for just a couple weeks as we begin this new year. And I can find it, hopefully before the year's end, Galatians chapter 5. If you use one of our Bibles, that's on page 1239, just to make it easier for you. Just so you know, we're going to return to the book of Romans. Uh, We've taken a kind of a break from that throughout the holiday season, Advent and things. And we've got just uh, three more weeks before we'll, we'll return to it on the 22nd. We'll be in chapter 5, verse 12, and just pick up where we left off and uh, keep going. Probably pretty uninterrupted in that until at least Easter. But since it's the beginning of the year, as I mentioned earlier, I like to be thinking about my walk with the Lord and encourage you to think about the same thing. Ways in which even this year you can grow. And by the way, that doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how old you are. That never changes. If you're not, if you're with us, then you are supposed to be growing in the Lord. And that continues all the way until he calls you home or he returns, whichever comes first. So there is no such thing as getting to a certain point or a certain age and you're like, well, I've kind of arrived at where I'm supposed to be and need to be, and now I just wait for heaven. It is a progress all the way through now to the end. And the new year is a wonderful time, providentially given by God, of new beginnings. And if we learn that from the book of Lamentations, every morning His mercies are new. Every morning. How much more can we think about that at the new year? New mercies. Thinking back on the mercies that have followed us in the year before and then thinking forward to the new mercies coming and his enabling grace for us to know him more this year and to love him more this year, to live for him more this year. The Christian experience in the Bible is pictured as one of forward progression and growth and maturing in our walk and relationship with God. Matter of fact, it's put forward very clearly as a command. 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 18. Same letter we read earlier, the first chapter. Peter's talking about growing. And he ends the letter by saying this, But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And you'll notice the word grow there is a command. It's not an option. It's not something to consider whether you're going to be growing. It is something to be pursuing this idea of growth in your life. I was reflecting on this this week that there is a healthy tension at all times going on in the Christian's heart and mind, a healthy tension. On the one hand, we are resting in and rejoicing in the finished work of Christ on our behalf. That's what we were studying in Romans, right? That idea of being justified, The fruit that comes out of that, when you trust in Christ, you're forgiven. You're given all the righteousness you need to get into heaven. You're, you know, born again by His Spirit. uh, You have eternal life. All of those blessings, you're at right with God. We're not working our way to get to God. All of those things that we're resting in. 
And yet the healthy tension comes in when we realize that God's design for us in the Christian life is to grow as a Christian so that there's always this, I think, this godly discontent with where we are in our walk with the Lord. So we're content in the salvation he's provided, and yet there's this holy discontent that we want to be, we desire to be more like Jesus. And the more time we're in his word and around his people and learning from him and we're growing in the grace and knowledge of the Lord, I think the more that discontent will grow. It's going to be more prevalent than it is less prevalent. Do you see? The further along you go, the, the more you're seeing how, well, unlike Christ you are in many different ways. That's a good discontent, by the way. Always keep it in balance with the resting in Christ, okay? And that idea of justification, but that idea of wanting to be more holy is a good thing, and we should be pursuing that. The Bible tells us how to do that in various ways. We use different terms to describe this growth in the Christian life. I've used many of them already this morning in our walk with the Lord or in knowing the Lord. We want to grow in these areas, grow in our discipleship, grow in Christ-likeness. But for a couple of weeks, there's one phrase that we use in reference to this idea of growing as Christians that I want us to kind of zero in on and think about. We, we've probably all used it, and it's a good phrase, but we need to understand what it means. And that is the phrase, spiritually growing, right? You might say, if I say, hey, how can I pray for you this year? Well, pray for me that I would grow spiritually. I want to grow spiritually, okay? But you know what? We might say, we might have to follow that up and say, well, what do we mean by that? Or how would we know that's happening? Like, is there any kind of standard by which we could look and say, yeah, this person's growing spiritually or I'm growing spiritually. What does it mean to grow spiritually? I don't know if you've ever had a conversation with somebody who's not a Christian and you've talked to them a little bit about the gospel and what you believe and they say, well, I'm not religious. I'm what? I'm, spirit- I'm a spiritual person. A fun little exercise with somebody that says that is try to nail them down on what they mean by that. Really describe that to me. If I were interested in that, what does that mean? What does that look like? What does it mean to be a spiritual person and not a religious person? And I, I would be willing to bet that a good percentage of the people you ask that question would not be able to really define for you what it is to be a spiritual person. It's kind of nebulous, right? It's kind of just out there and intangible. And sometimes we can be that way with the, with the term spiritual growth in the Christian life. So we want to be very concrete in this. And Galatians chapter 5 and verses 16 to 26 will help us with that. It's going to show us some things we need to do in order to grow spiritually and really what spiritual growth is in its essence and what it will look like in our lives and in our relationships. Okay, spiritual people. All right, look at verse 16, Galatians 5. I'm just going to read through verse 26. Where Paul says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. 
Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Let's just pause and ask God's blessing on this passage. Father, these are good words and pure words and true words and powerful words because they are your words to us. And we confess that we need your Spirit's enlightenment, illumination, empowerment to understand and apply. Please, God, give that to each one of us and gift me now as I teach for your glory and the good of your people. And I ask this in the name of Jesus, amen. You'll probably notice in what stood out to you in this passage or what should stand out to you the most is the one uh, about whom this passage is written. It is the person of the Holy Spirit. You see it about six or seven times in these verses, the word spirit. In our translations, it has a capital S on it, spirit, to clue us in on the fact that he is talking about the person of God, the Holy Spirit. Because in the Bible, it also uses the word spirit, lowercase s, just to generally talk about the immaterial part of a human being, the spirit of a human being. Soul, spirit can almost sometimes be synonymous, that inner man, the heart of a person, something you cannot see. But in this passage, it's clearly referring to the person and the work of God, the Holy Spirit. You remember last week, and we were talking about Christmas, of course, on Christmas morning, and we're talking about the incarnation of the person of the Son of God, right? What we learn in the New Testament that isn't as clear in the Old Testament, though it's there in little places and hints and things, but what becomes very clearly revealed in the gospel and once Christ showed up is that there is one God, right? And that one God eternally and co-equally exists in three distinct yet equal persons. God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. There are not three gods, there is but one God, and this one God eternally exists in three distinct yet equal persons, the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. This is like, you know, Christianity 101 class, 
Okay, you'd get to this probably class two in that curriculum. Who God is. This triune God. We can't wrap our minds around it, but we see it to be true. And what you see in the gospel unfolding, and it began with Christmas, and it kind of goes on to the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, is that God in his plan to save us from our sins, each distinct person in the Godhead does something for that in the one will of God. So we would learn, even in the song we sang, right? From Ephesians chapter 1, the salvation song, Paul does this. He breaks it up, your salvation that you've received in God, broken up by what the Father did, and what the Son did, and what the Spirit did. So in Ephesians chapter 1, if we took the time to read it, we won't. You could do that this week. But we learn that the Father has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. That the Father chose us in Christ. That the Father predestined us in Christ to adoption as sons. And then what you would learn is the Son, and what we celebrated last week, of course, at Christmas, is that the Father sent the Son into the world. The Father, not the Father, didn't come into the world. He sent the Son into the world who came into the world, and it is the Son uniquely who became a man for us, and he lived that perfect life under the law, the life we could not live. And then he died on the cross for us, and then he rose again for us. And it's really the person and work of the Son that Paul has been talking about in Galatians until he gets to chapter 5. And he's doing the exact same thing that we've been studying in the book of Romans. That's why it's a a perfect connection. In Romans, we're focusing so far on the person and work of the Spirit, or the person and work of the Son for us. And that we are justified when we trust in Jesus, right? In the Son. And his work is sufficient for us on the cross, and his intercession for us at the right hand of the Father. We're focusing on that. And what Paul does here in Galatians 5 and what he's going to do in Romans chapter 8 is that he's going to make a transition now to focusing for a time on the person and work of the Holy Spirit for us. So, So we have to remember that we can never lose track of that, that our Christian life is going to be lived by the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. He is the one who has applied to us the work of Jesus Christ. That is one of his primary roles in our salvation. We sang it, as a matter of fact, right at the end. We were sealed when we believed in Jesus. We were sealed by the Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. How are you guaranteed? That you're going to make it into the kingdom? You've been sealed with the Holy Spirit. So Paul is focusing on the person and work of the Holy Spirit. And this is where I'm leading with this, friends. When we're talking about spiritual growth, we're really talking about what the Spirit himself does in us and through us. Spiritual growth is the work of the Spirit in your heart and life and mind. And we see in these passages, what I want to look at this week, before we talk about what we need to do, that's often where we jump to. You will say, you want to grow spiritually? Okay, well, you need to do this, and you need to do that. 
And you need to do this other thing and you should quit doing this thing over here, right? We focus on what we must do. And friends, make no mistake. The Bible gives us commands of things we must do and must not do. And if we don't do those things or we do those things, we're not going to grow spiritually. But what Christianity does should always be what Christianity does is we begin with what God is doing for us and in us. That's where justification came in, right? We're talking about justification. We're talking about how can I be right with God? What do I do? Nothing. You trust in Jesus Christ. You rest in the personal work of Christ, right? Now with sanctification, that is a fancy word of saying growing in holiness is what that word comes from. How do I grow in holiness and become more like Christ? Well, that comes from the work of the Spirit within us and knowing that and taking steps of obedience by faith in the Spirit's presence and power in our heart, that's the key, you see. Before we just jump out with our list of to-dos in order to grow, we know what God is doing in us and from us. And again, this is, these are the kinds of things that separate Christianity from everything else. You ask that person who says, I'm not religious, I'm just spiritual, you will very quickly find they are very religious because it's all about them and what they're doing that's achieving whatever salvation to them is. The gospel is unique in the way that it is God working for us and in us from eternity past all the way to the end. Makes it very unique in that way, doesn't it? So he's transitioning here just like he will do in Romans 8. So I'm giving us a little preview of like, what, three months down the road maybe, four months down the road when we get to Romans 8. And we're, we're gonna talk about now the Holy Spirit and spend that chapter just thinking about his work. Paul's doing it here in chapter five. And you'll notice what the Spirit is doing. Maybe let's look at just a few things. I'm just gonna name them and we'll eventually talk about all of these. But what is the Spirit doing for us and in us in these verses. Well, we're told in verse 16 to walk by the Spirit, but that would imply that the Spirit is moving us forward. As a matter of fact, you get the picture in verse 25 where he says, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. In other words, we're to be walking along. Here he is. He's moving us along. He's moving us forward in the way that we should go. And we shouldn't be like the toddler that doesn't want to go with you and does that special ninja move where they just kind of drop down and you're trying to move them and you can't get them out of the store while they're screaming and crying. It is, we are supposed to be Walking with the Spirit, but that implies that He's moving forward, isn't He? He's leading us in ways of which we should be going and doing. He's working, verse 17, against your sinful desires. You, even as a Christian, have sinful desires. Any true Christian will admit to that. Things you desire to do that you should not do, and you know it. But you'll notice in verse 17, the desires of the flesh are against the spirit and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh for these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want. The spirit himself is working in you against those sinful desires. So of course, as we'll talk about, the idea is work with the spirit in this. Don't obey the sinful desires, right? Implication, but we'll talk more about that. Verse 18, he's leading you He says, but if you are led by the Spirit, he has a leading influence in our lives. 
leading us according to God's revealed word about what we should do and what our lives should look like and leading us in Psalm 23, paths of righteousness for the sake of the name of the Lord. In verse 22, and as we analyze these, this verse, we'll see that spiritual growth can be very tangible. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. In other words, what is the Spirit doing here? Are you producing love? Are you producing joy? No, the Spirit is producing it in you, and then the fruit of that comes from you, okay? In verse 25, he's giving you life. Catch this little phrase in verse 25. If we live by the Spirit. If we live by the Spirit. And that's what I want to focus on now for just a few minutes. Probably the rest of our time. Didn't get very far into spiritual growth, did we? But we must begin here. If we live by the Spirit. Now, what does he mean by that? And let me frame it in a question like this. Do you live by the Spirit? Do you have and possess the life that comes from the Spirit? And in this passage, he's not talking about your lifestyle or how we live. He's talking about the inner principle of God's life embedded in our hearts and minds through the Holy Spirit. He brings life to dead people. This is what he does. Remember Ephesians 2, what Paul teaches? You were dead in your trespasses and sins. But God made you alive. Well, how did he do that? How did he make you alive? By the Holy Spirit. So a key question before you start thinking through, how am I going to grow spiritually this year? You need to ask, am I even a spiritual person? By that meaning, do I have the Spirit in me? Do I have the life that, this is, that he is talking about? I'm going to put up on the screen a verse that I think is helpful in this area to describe exactly what Paul is meaning here in Galatians, but filling it out in a little more detail, and that is Titus chapter 3, verses 4 through 6. Now listen to this. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, note this, he saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom, the Holy Spirit, he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Lord. All right, now, if I, if I asked you this question, if I came up to you after service, I said, how did God save you? you would probably immediately say something to this effect and you would be 100% right in saying it and I would say the same thing. Well, something to this effect. 
saved me through Jesus Christ, lived and died and rose again for me. I'm forgiven of my sins and saved by the blood of the lamb who has taken away my sins and I've trusted in him. And you know what? You'd be, 100%, you'd be right. But there's a little more to it than that. Now look at this verse again. Now look at, look at how he phrases this. Verse five, how does that begin? He saved us. And then he says something that you could just put in parentheses, almost remove it because it's just a, a side thought, right? Not because of our works of righteousness. Well, I'm making that clear. But he saved us how? By, notice this, the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. So if I said to you, how did God save you? You could say, and you'd be right, he saved me by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit. When the Spirit did that to me and in me and for me, I was then saved at that moment. You see? This is the means by which God applies the work of Christ to our lives. That's the connection. I was saved by, we were saved by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit whom he poured out on us richly through Christ our Lord. So Jesus isn't disconnected from this. It's because we've come to faith in Christ that we are at that point when we trust in Christ, we are by means of the Holy Spirit, right? Simultaneously, we are washed uh, of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit. Very important to see this. The word regeneration means to be reborn. It's really made up of two Greek words, reborn or again birthed. That's new life. When somebody comes in, is born into the world, you've got new life now that's been born into the world. And what does the Spirit do? The Spirit now comes and brings new life, new birth in a person so that they become different than who they were. Paul will in other places refer to this miracle that comes from God's Spirit as uh, a new creation in Christ. I'm new now. I'm not who I was anymore because I've been born new. And then he says, the renewal. Again, just a similar term but to be made new again. So when this happens, there's new life now by which you live. Paul says, if we live by the Spirit before this happened, you didn't have this life. You didn't have that life principle in you. You had physical life. You had the life of what Paul refers to in Galatians 5 as the life of the flesh. But you had no inner life. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. And when God saved you, he gave you new life. That's what it means to be, to live by the Spirit, okay? So I wanted to draw that out a little bit. Without the Spirit, there's no spiritual growth. You're, if a person doesn't have the Holy Spirit of God, they can apply every 
spiritual growing principle of scripture. You can read your Bible every day and pray every day and come to church every day and serve every day and give every day. You can do all of these things and you will not grow spiritually because you don't have the spirit of God. The best you would get is you will be a moral, good, religious person. No spirit, no life. We must have the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit through Jesus Christ in order to have spiritual life, to live by the Spirit, and to grow in the Spirit. Now you need to ask yourself. Everybody in here should just ask. Every time I go, I, I asked it this week. We ask it, we go through this. The, the Spirit would want you to ask, do I have the life he's talking about? Have I been born anew? Do I live by the Spirit? Now, here's what I want to do. I want you to turn in your Bibles to John chapter 3. And I want to look at this passage for a few minutes. I have always been concerned from the time that God saved me by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit I am one of the people, not all people can say this, but I'm one of the people that can remember the moment it happened. And just the way in which God had providentially worked with me when that happened caused me then to be very concerned at times in the Christian church, in the churches I've been a part of, and Christians I've known and met, professing Christians, that first of all, this this isn't emphasized enough in gospel presentations, really, in the need to be born again. It's not emphasized enough. And sometimes in youth and children's ministry, what can be emphasized is a prayer or a decision and putting all the weight into that as the way God saves us. And what happens then is that these professions aren't accompanied by any fruit of the Spirit and you get just moral people at best. Or you get kids that grow up and then they just go into the world and everybody wonders why that happened. The reason it happens is because they have not been saved by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit. And that's not just with young people. I, I'm burdened that there could be older saints in this room. And your whole life you've been religious. You've gone to church. You've, done, you've been in the right religion and you followed the right rules and you went to church and you've got your doctrinal ducks in a row. Boom, boom, boom. You could smell false teaching from 8,000 miles away. But you have no life. Listen to this in John chapter 3, in beginning of verse 1. This is, I think, one of the top 
five most important passages in the Bible. It's Jesus' conversation with Nicodemus. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind or the Spirit, same word, blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? Jesus answered him, are you the teacher of Israel and yet you do not understand these things? Now, what John does here is give us Enough information about Nicodemus, somewhat mysterious character in the gospel account, but enough information about him to give us the main point of this passage. Nicodemus, of course, was a Jew. He was in the right religion. He was not a pagan. Jesus isn't dealing with some Gentile, idolatrous pagan living out in the world apart from God's law, Torah, and from the, the temple worship and from synagogue observances. He was in the right religion. He was a ruler among God's people, had a public ministry among the people of God. He was a teacher. As a matter of fact, Jesus said, you're the teacher in Israel and you don't know these things. In other words, we get the indication that he was like the prominent Bible teacher among the Jews at that time. He knew his Bible enough to teach it to people. Not only that, he was a Pharisee. And the Pharisees were known for their zeal for holiness and to live against They'd they'd look at God's law and they'd say, I want to do this in my life. I'm going to go through every painstaking detail of my life and order it in such a way that it resembles obedience to God's holy law. They were zealous for it. And yet in that condition, the right religion, ministry, knowledge, Pursuing obedience to God in that condition was not enough for him to see or enter the kingdom. He had no life in him. He had nothing but what Paul refers to in other passages as dead works. Worthless dead works 
of religion. Worthless, condemning knowledge of the Bible. But inside, there was no life. He needed the one thing. The one thing he needed, he could not do for himself. (laughs) He needed to be born again. He needed the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit. Friends, the same thing is true for all of us. We must be born again. We must live by the Spirit. That's why I'm beginning with it this week before we get into, okay, let's learn about walking in the Spirit. Let's learn about keeping in step with the Spirit. Let's learn about the fruit of the Spirit. We got to begin with having the Spirit in us. This is where we begin to be truly spiritual people or else we'll be nothing more than Nicodemus's, and that's at best religious, moral people who keep the rules. Have you been born again? Twenty-two years ago, on this Sunday morning, I don't think it was the first of January, but it was the first Sunday of January, me and Natalie and Ashley and Callista, who was just brand new infant, just born three months before, went back to church for the first time in years. About a month or two before that was when I, for the first time, having now, listen, grown up in church, I would be willing to compete with anyone in here for my childhood years and how much I attended church. Every service, every special occasion, every children's thing, youth thing, if it was going on, we were there. There was never like any kind of question about that. I grew up in Christianity and really in a Bible teaching church. But when I left the house, it became very evident that I had not been saved, that there was no spiritual life in me. So I did what spiritually dead people do. Paul describes in Ephesians 2, you just follow the course of this world. That's what they do. That's natural because there's no spirit in there. And other than a little, I don't know, maybe six-month stint we did at a Baptist church in Sacramento when we were trying to turn over a new leaf, there was no church. And in all those years of growing up in church, the Bible meant nothing to me. I couldn't tell you, I don't think I learned anything in 18 years other than what I was made to memorize. The basics of Christianity, kind of had that down and where things were in the Bible. I didn't have problems. I, I wasn't like, well, where is this book of the Bible? What, I knew it, all of those things, but they meant nothing to me. The songs we sang meant nothing to me. The fellowship with the people of God meant nothing to me. Until what made the difference? When I was born again. And I called that same pastor, actually I think I spoke to his wife, the week before we went back to that church and I told her what God was doing in my heart and that we wanted to come back to church. 
And I went back into that same church and they were still singing the same songs and the sermon sounded the exact same and it was all the same people, about maybe 30 people. It could fit like in three of these rows probably right here, the whole church on a packed Sunday. But there was a difference. I mean, I loved it. I wasn't entertained. Believe me, our church did not entertain you. They were not seeker sensitive. They didn't even talk about seeker sensitivism and it was going on. I mean, we were conservative. But I come in and this is life to me. The word was life to me and the sermons I hung on every word and the songs that I grew up with meant something as I sung them and I enjoyed being around the people of God and I enjoyed praying with the people of God. All of these things were different. What made the difference is by God's grace I was living then by the Spirit and all things were made new. Friends, what is this to you right now? What is this? Does it mean anything? I can remember when the Bible opens up to me, I'm like, I wasted 18 years, more than that, wasted 25 years, but 18 of them I was sitting under the teaching of the Word of God. I wasted it. I could have grown up under that, listening, applying, loving the Bible, but no spirit in me to do that. Friends, are you, have you been born again? I'm simply asking that question because if you are not born again, you cannot see or enter the kingdom of heaven. That doesn't mean just in the future. That means now. You don't have eyes to see the glory of God. You don't have the eyes to see the glory of the coming kingdom. All you see is the world and its flashiness. It attracts you. When you're born again, that changes. No, things do not become perfect. I am not always what I should be. I'm not what I hope to be at the end of 2023. I'm not what I know I'll be when the Lord returns. But as John Newton said, I'm not, by the grace of God, I am what I am and I'm not what I was, you see. Have you been born again? If you want to be born again, here is what I say to you. I'm just going to read to you the words of Jesus, okay? Listen to this. John chapter 7, verses 37 to 39, says this. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out. Now listen to what he's saying, because he's saying it to you. He said this publicly so that everybody could hear it. And the offer is to anyone who hears. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. What are we talking about? thirsts okay whoever believes in me as the scripture said out of his heart will flow rivers of living water what are you talking about Jesus well John tells us now this he said about the spirit who those who believed in him were to receive for as yet the spirit had not been given because Jesus was not yet glorified you see you want the spirit do you want the life then in the person, in the Godhead, who is the one that God puts forward and says, now you come to him and believe in him and all of the saving blessings of God, including his Holy Spirit, will come through him. So we look then to Jesus who's inviting you right now to the new birth. 
You come to me, and then out of your heart will flow rivers of living water. And what I'm talking about is the Holy Spirit that will be given to you. Friends, I just encourage you, if you are not sure that you are born again, look to Jesus Christ right now. Cry out to him. Read this to him. Claim his promise to everyone who would come to him and wants to be born again and wants to have the spiritual life, the word promises. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the gift of the Spirit in us. We confess, we confess to you that we grieve him at times. We fail to keep in step with him. We refuse his leadership in our lives. We suppress his work and yet he's so gracious to stay with us and restore our souls. Do that for people in this room now. Restore souls. Let them get up and start following the Spirit even this week and into this year. And we know that you, the Spirit goes where he wills and we pray that he would will to breathe new life into every person in this room and all our loved ones who have not experienced this. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.